This version of the Room Now podcast is dedicated to highlights from ULAR 2022. Herein, you will hear reports and perspectives from the Room Now faculty and key opinion leaders in rheumatology. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. I'm Richard Conway from Dublin, Ireland, um, and we're bringing you the Room Now twice yearly uh, PMR GCA panel from um, our major meetings. This one's from ULAR 2022. I'm joined by two uh, special guests this evening. Um, Sarah Mackey from Leeds um, in the United Kingdom and Michael Putnam from uh, Wisconsin in the United States. Um, and without further ado, I think uh, let's get started. Um, so we have three um, abstracts uh, coming to you tonight from the meeting and in, I think, an unprecedented event um, on the PMR GCA panel, all three of them are uh, PMR based abstracts, um, which is it's nice to see uh, PMR getting some limelight finally. Um, after being so long in the shadows. Um, and the first uh, abstract I'm going to talk about, it's uh, by William Jamie et al. Um, and this was a basic science study um, looking at uh, pro-inflammatory monocytes and macrophages um, in PMR. Um, and I think the first thing to say about this is a little acknowledgement to the incredibly hard work that's gone into this study. Um, I think as clinicians, we kind of um, don't realize sometimes how hard this uh, basic science uh, work is. I think the authors here have put in a, a tremendous amount of work and come out with, it, with a fantastic um, end result. Um, so what they've done here um, is they've taken patients with polymyalgia rheumatica and they've taken samples um, from the blood from the synovial uh, fluid um, in the, the bursas and um, the tenosynovial uh, tissues. And then they've taken bursal tissue biopsy samples um, as well. And they've phenotyped the monocytes and macrophages uh, present in these. I don't wanna go into too much detail about exactly how they did this, because I think uh, we might uh, lose uh, some people, people uh, by talking uh, too much uh, basic science. Um, but essentially what they, they found is that synovial fluid monocytes and then the tissue resident macrophages in PMR are skewed towards a pro-inflammatory uh, phenotype. And they also found that the macrophages um, showed a prominent IL-6 and GM-CSF um, expression. Um, and this is of course really interesting. It, it, gives us some further insight on the pathogenesis of PMR potentially, and perhaps even more clinically relevant, it opens us up um, to potential therapeutic um, options um, in PMR and potentially looking at these two cytokines. So we've already seen um, uh, some work um, on IL-6 um, in PMR, and we'll be talking about that a little bit later on. And also the GMCSF inhibitor mavrolimumab has been uh, studied in giant cell arthritis, and it has the potential to transition to some PMR uh, work um, also. Uh, so I think overall, this is amazing work um, with really promising um, and interesting results. Um, and I'd be interested in everyone else's thoughts on it. Who wants to jump in? Sarah? Hi, amazing piece of work. Um, and just so great to actually get to the cells in PMR and to get into the tissues in PMR. So this is really a, a first to be able to do this with this kind of level of detail. Um, the same group's also looked at T cells and have published on that um, from, again, from the um, synovial bursa study. So um, I just think this is going to be the source of 
a lot of new um, target identification, potentially loads of different new therapeutic um, choices, and um, hopefully some new drugs will be coming through in the pipeline based on this, this work and other work um, like it in the future, we hope. So really, really exciting work and great to see some science in PMR. Yeah, I think that I'm uh, both a, a wet blanket on this topic and also possibly its biggest booster. Um, I think my fellows like to make fun of me because I constantly talk about, you know, what is a rheumatic disease? And I, because of necessity for, for many years, we've been de defining diseases by phenotypes. PMR is PMR because of the patient's presentation. But we know that there's probably a dozen different types of PMR and that to really treat this disease properly, we're going to need to discover what they are. And we've, we've reached the limit of what we can do clinically or with our basic rudimentary labs. So I think that studies like this are where the future must go for us to, to make real progress here. Now, the flip side is that we've been doing this in other diseases, and we still are remarkably far away from precision medicine. Um, but I find this very encouraging. And uh, like both of y'all, I just love to see more interest in PMR and more studies like this that are going to be able to, to move things forward. Fantastic. And yeah, that gives us a very nice uh, segue into uh, talking about uh, potential treatment options. And we have um, two different studies um, looking at two different approaches uh, to treating uh, PMR. Um, the first of those, um, I think Sarah's going to talk about, um, and that's the Bridge PMR study um, of rituximab. Yeah, so I'm um, really excited to see the extension results of the Bridge PMR extension um, presented at ULAS. So Bridge PMR um, is a placebo-controlled uh, proof-of-concept study of rituximab in polymyalgia aromatica, um, and the uh, manuscript was published um, and you can read it in Lancet Rheumatology it's published in September 2021. So that was incredibly exciting to read that at the time. Um, it was a small study so they recruited 49 patients, 47 completed follow-up um, and they randomized to rituximab or placebo plus tapering course of steroids and they um, demonstrated that um, there more a greater proportion of patients in the rituximab arm achieved steroid-free remission at 21 weeks. So um, they were unable to demonstrate at 21 weeks at that time a reduction in cumulative steroid requirements, probably because of that 21-week time point. Most patients were just tapering on down. And encouragingly, in that September 2021 report, um, all the patients in the rituximab group at that 21 week point were taking less than five milligrams, what five milligrams of prednisone or less. Um, in, whereas not all of them were in the placebo group. Caveat, this is a very small trial. So this is the extension. So they went out to one year. Um, and again, they looked at the proportion of patients in steroid free remission at one year. And again, it favored the rituximab arm. Um, they looked at secondary outcomes and this time they were able to show a reduction in cumulative steroid requirements in the rituximab arm compared to the placebo arm. Um, so um, the, the clinical bottom line is this is a very small study. Um, it is so small that just a couple of patients who went the other side of the line could have potentially um, made the interpretation very different. So it's certainly rituximab is 
not ready for the clinical prime time. I don't think I'll be giving rituximab to my, my patients with PMR anytime soon, unless we see a lot more data, but it is a start. And it's fantastic to see this study published because it really challenges our preconceptions about PMR. It challenges our preconception that it's a purely auto-inflammatory disease that adaptive immunity isn't involved. It changes our perceptions that we can't do anything about it, that there's no, you know, there's no point in trying immunomodulatory therapies that all patients just have to have steroids. This really, really challenges so many of the ways which we've traditionally looked at PMR. And I think it really brings us hope for the future. This alongside other trials which are coming through, and um, one of which Mike's going to talk about, you know, this really um, is a really exciting time for PMR and for new therapies. Um, and it's just great to see um, such, such fantastic work being done and being published and being followed up in extension studies as well. Yeah, Mike, I, what do you think? Did, did you think, think rituximab was going to work for PMR? I, I did not. I can openly, openly uh, brand myself as a premature skeptic on this topic. And, you know, I, 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 I try not to become over focused on pathophysiology because I just think the immune system is incredibly complex. But for a disease like PMR, where we've never really come close to finding a, a causative antibody, uh, the idea of an aggressive B cell depleting therapy uh, felt far fetched to me when I when I heard about it. Um, but of course, the the data matter more than my uh, preconception. So I, I thought it was encouraging. And I thought it was a very interesting study, uh, especially in the era of COVID, I'd be hesitant to start with Tuxmab um, on the hope of these sorts of data. But uh, still, I thought it was, it was fascinating. And I, I just like what uh, Dr. Mackey said about this challenging preconceptions about PMR. I think this is a disease where a lot of us are uh, hoping for more hope. <laughs> and I, I think that seeing trials in Lancet rheumatology with polymyalgia rheumatica in the title alone uh, helps move the, the field forward and helps us attract more people to do trials. And I, I'm going to finish on this one by being a little bit of the wet blanket uh, for, for this study. Um, I think the Slightly more people in, in the rituximab group got under that five milligrams of prednisolone, but, but with the extension, most of the placebo patients got there as well. So it seems like we're treating a lot of people who we may not need to be treating. And the other thing I think is that the main aim, I suppose, in, in PMR is, is to try and limit the adverse events that we know glucocorticoids cause. Um, and this study didn't really show that it or there's no significant difference, but there are actually numerically more side effects in the rituximab arm, which um, is a little bit concerning, especially as Mike said, the many uh, worrisome side effects that rituximab um, can cause. But absolutely excited to see uh, further development of rituximab in PMR. Um, and then moving on quickly uh, to sarilumab, the interleukin-6 uh, inhibitor, um, and a trial of that uh, that was presented at the meeting. Uh, similar to the PMR data, uh, I found this very exciting, but a little frustrating, and I ultimately was guardedly optimistic about it. Uh, so this is the SAFR trial. They randomized patients with PMR to um, who were active and resistant uh, to either receive sorilumab, an interleukin-6 inhibitor, and a 14-week taper, or placebo in a 52-week taper, which I like. I mean, they're trying to actually differentiate their therapies quite a bit there. 
the primary endpoint was achieving sustained remission. And this bothered me a little bit. And I just don't understand why they keep doing this. Uh, they define remission by, um, they included the CRP in that, which for an interleukin-6 agent is just quite silly. And we all know it's quite silly. Um, and then the second thing is that they stopped the trial early, which is just so frustrating. Um, I, it's, it's tough. I mean, it was tough to enroll, especially in COVID, but they only had it ongoing for two years. So I think another two years and we could have gotten there. Um, they ultimately did randomize 118 people, though, which is a very large study for PMR. So that's exciting. Um, and, uh, you know, with that, uh, the concerns you would typically have, which is that you'd increase the type 2 error rate, you would be more likely to erroneously decide the drug doesn't work, um, is maybe not as big of an issue. But I, I do want to emphasize that stopping a trial early also increases the possibility of a type 1 error rate, where you erroneously decide that it works. So stopping trials early is always just tough. But enough of that. Um, I, the results themselves were encouraging. Um, sustained remission was significantly higher. So it's 28% versus 10%. And this did pers persist in the sensitivity analysis where they removed the CRP. So 32% and 14% both were significant. So we should have just used the sensitivity analysis as the primary analysis because we would have been successful there. Um, flares were less frequent. The hazard ratio was 0.56. So you know a substantial reduction in flares. And then people did get less steroids, but the difference was not that great. It was 200 milligrams less steroids. So, you know, 20 days at 10 milligrams of steroid or 40 days at five milligrams of steroid. That's not a huge difference at the end of the day, similar to the concerns about the uh, rituximab study. And then that was actually borne out. They checked the glucocorticoid toxicity index and did not see a significant difference between there. Um, and they did see some numerically higher adverse events, things like neutropenia, arthralgia, and insomnia. Although overall adverse events were marginally less frequent in the, in the treatment group, um, which we see. So I, I think that what to do with this is challenging. Um, I think we're all looking for a drug to help with PMR. And I would be more inclined to use this than I would have the rituximab based on both the pathophysiology of it. Uh, I think that this result was a bit stronger, a larger group of patients. Um, and then also because we all worry about Simmering GCA and there's a, a, a good body of evidence to support the use of interleukin-6 inhibitors in GCA. Uh, but I'm curious to hear, hear from you all. Will you be reaching for cerilumab or an interleukin-6 inhibitor in PMR anytime soon or with greater frequency if you already are. <laughs> Go ahead, Sarah. Um, so um, in the UK where, you know, it is not, it is A, not licensed, B, not funded. So we, we don't have the option. Um, if in some high pesticide world where I did have the option, um, I have to say that there's so much of a common spectrum of disease between PMR, GCA, and there are some patients who are just there and you can't prove they have GCA, but they really feel like they have GCA and they just keep relapsing with PMR and they keep getting sort of headache and jaw ache when they chew and can't quite prove it's, it's GCA, but it really looks like GCA. And I think that's, that's the group of patients where I would love to be able to use an IL-6 inhibitor. Um, currently cannot um, because in currently in the UK in order to treat a patient with relapsing GCA with TNF inhibitors you need some really firm evidence um, such as biopsy or ultrasound proof of GCA and sometimes that evidence is just really hard to come by um, some patients but they but you really want to use something other than steroids so um, so in that hypothetical world where it was available and funded 
um, there's a subset of patients that I would think about, but not not for all patients with PMR. Um, because they, you know, some patients with PMR they take their steroids on fine, and 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 they don't need another agent that's going to immunomodulate further. Um, but the challenge is going to be, of course, how do we pick out those patients other than our clinical gut feel, which is um, not what we want to be doing at scale. We want to have some robust markers, we want to have some biomarkers, and it comes back to this discussion about precision medicine. How do we stratify those patients who are going to need additional therapies? Um, and IL-6 inhibitors might be an example, but it could even be conventional synthetic DMARDs. How do we identify those patients who will benefit the most? Um, and I think we're still, that's something that we still um, need to do more work on and identify those biomarkers um, of treatment response uh, that we currently are struggling on clinical grounds to identify those patients. That's a, a very nice uh, summary and a very nice way to, to end the panel. Um, so I think we'll leave it there. Um, remember to follow Room Now across our various platforms for uh, more updates uh, from Euler 2022 and from rheumatology uh, in general. Um, and I'll uh, say goodbye from Ireland and invite Mike and Sarah to do the same. Goodbye. Thanks so much for having me.